0: Welcome to the Sunday session on NRL.com. My name is Chris Kennedy. I'm joined as always by my co-pilot, Kenny Scott. We're here to talk you through all eight games from round 16. But before that, we are going to chat some origin. The Blues team has just landed. We've got Blues veteran Bo Scott on the line to talk it through with us. Uh, Kenny, thank you for being here and Bo, thank you for being here.
1: No dramas. Great uh, Great to see you on a Sunday night. (laughs)
2: <laughs> thanks so much, CK, and uh, Bo, it's great to have you as well. I understand you're here thanks to the guys at Anaconda because uh, you've just come back from wrapping up the Anaconda Fish of Origin series.
1: Yeah, I did. I was lucky enough to travel up to uh, Queensland and the Barrier Reef for a couple of Origin legends and uh, have a bit of a competition or a Fish of Origin, as we called it, and um, a couple of great days there spent on the water, and uh, yeah, one of us gets a shield at the end of the day. So these, are, these are origin legends, obviously, you, they're, they're, that includes you. Who else was on the trip? On the blue side, myself and Nathan Highmarsh represented New South Wales. Uh, we went up against uh, the great JT and Steve Renoff. Um, it was a brewing couple of days. Uh, Anaconda done a great job of uh, putting it on for us. And yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it, was, it was great fishing, but even better to watch on the TV when I got home. <laughs> I've, I've seen uh, the first episode i know the maroons got got
2: away with a win there i haven't watched episode two i know episode three is going to drop before the game please tell me it's not all
1: heartbreak for the blues oh listen the first two are decided i'll have to leave it up in the air for the third but listen it's a tight series at the moment the, the maroons got away with the first one i don't know how it was one of those um another arsy moment from jt come from behind and matched a victory, but, uh, Heidi and I held strong in the second episode there. We're catching some big Spanish mackerels. And uh, yeah, we really pulled their pants down there, which was good. And the third episode, we'll just have to wait and see a couple of days before the game. It'll drop again and um,
2: we'll see who gets a shield. Classic stuff, right? Well, if any of the fans
1: out there want to know more
2: about it, they can just search uh, Fish of Origin and they'll they'll find it there. Or go to nrl.com and search for Fish of Origin in the search bar there. But CK, let's get to the news at hand.
0: Well, yeah, like I said, the Origin team has uh, just dropped James Tedesco on Fox League, confirming um, what we suspected. Mitch Moses from the Parramatta Eels, Jack Whiten from the Canberra Raiders, the new halves pairing for Origin 3. Nathan Cleary and Jerome Loy, the Panthers halves, both struck down by injury. Unfortunately, um, Epi Korosau, who's been uh, 18th man both of the first two games, gets uh, a well-earned Origin debut in in jersey number 14, Bo. You've obviously been around the, the origin set up for a, a large part of your career. I guess, first of all, you would have very much enjoyed uh, just seeing, you know, the, the nature of the footy the Blues have played over the opening two games um, so far this series.
1: Oh, I've absolutely loved it. Um, the first game was totally unexpected for everyone, including Queensland and, and the way the boys went about their business, especially out there at Townsville. With uncertain whether the game was gonna be played at that point and they went up there and, and done the job and, and um, really stuck it to them and I loved every part of it. And I thought the second game was gonna be a bit tougher for them at Suncorp. It's always a uh, it's always a really, really hard game at Suncorp with their fans and the boys done really well to keep them to nil points. It's it's an amazing effort and it's been forever. I don't think it's I don't think it's ever been matched up there to keep a Queensland uh, team to, to mm. nil points. And, To win the series up there, Um, yeah, all credit to them.
0: What about this uh, this game three? We're still not 100% sure where it's going to be played, if they're going to be able to get a game at Stadium Australia, if it's going to go up to Newcastle, or if even potentially Melbourne could be an option. What we do know is that the series has decided. The Blues gunning for a very rare, clean sweep. Um, last one, I think, was uh, the Maroons in 2010. It's only happened four times in 41 years of, of origin. Um, would be a huge achievement if they can manage it. They've lost some key players. Nathan Cleary's been absolutely stellar um, in the first two games, the way one of the great origin debuts I thought in game one, he's a massive loss as well in all new halves pairing. They've gone with uh, Moses and White and just your thoughts on, you know, what this changes for the blues and, and how they've gone with the replacements.
1: I think Freddie's done a great job with the team. So these two new half pairing that'll come into this team, it shouldn't change too much. The forwards have still got a role to play. They've got their job to do. And obviously they've done it great at the last two games. Yeah. Uh, Whiten probably should have been in the halves last year. I thought he deserved his opportunity to play in the halves last year. He definitely was out of position in the centres. Um, but him, him, in the, him in the halves with uh, Mitchy Moses, I played a bit of footer with Mitch, and he controls the speed of the rock, and he controls the middle of the field very well. So I think the uh, the combination of the two fellas there, um, Mitchie and Jack, they'll do a good job. Um, obviously, they've got a really structured game plan that, that Freddie is... is given the team the last two games. So I don't think a lot should change.
0: Just on, I guess Mitch, um, to start with, he's having a, a terrific season. I thought that the game against Melbourne, right at the start of the year, um, they upset the storm in a, a very rainy night at, at Bankwest Stadium, and Moses controlled that game superbly with his his kicking game. I think he leads the NRL for tries this year still. Um, certainly, you know, coming into the the best part of his career, he's got a relationship with Freddie from the the Lebanon camp in the World Cup four years ago. So I guess. You know, with, with the injuries that they've got, you know, it's probably now is the time for, for Mitch.
1: I think it's a great opportunity for Mitch to really um, step up, um, take control of the team that sort of he's going to have under him in this third game. And they've got nothing to lose. He's got nothing to lose. It's, it's all out there. So, uh, yeah, I'm really I'm really pumped for it. And I'm really looking forward to both him and Jack to really take the opportunity that has been presented to him.
0: What about Jack? You mentioned he was probably unlucky not to be given the five-eighth job last year—a dally season for him. Um, you know, he's been a great player for a fairly long time now. But you know, you'd have to say not having his best season this year. Canberra's had a lot of struggles. He, he certainly had an off night against the Titans in round 16. But um, I guess we've seen it a few times with you know rep-level players. Your team can be struggling a bit, but you come into that environment with Origin players around you, and uh, things are very different. Payne Haas probably a case in point.
1: Yeah, he has obviously uh, struggled down there in Canberra, along with the rest of the Canberra team, but um, he's been involved in the last two games during the Origin period and and been around the group of players and he knows what they're trying to achieve as a group and um, I think this is a good opportunity for him to try to recapture that form from last year and the year before where, um, yeah, he was leading the team around the park and, and doing his role really well, so... Uh, There'll be no excuses for Jack but on the third game. And like I said, I'm, I'm excited to see him pull on the jersey.
0: What about um, Appy Kaurasau coming in on the bench? He's been 18th man for the first two games. He's been terrific for Penrith all year. He's been good for a, a few years now. Won a, won a grand final very early on, early on in his career. But he's really sort of come into his own the past few years. He's he's done a role for the Blues this series, sort of being around the camp without getting a, a game. So just rewards for, uh, for Appy.
1: Yeah, I think it's a great uh, opportunity for him as well. Like, like you said, he's, he's been there and he's played that 18th man role, which I've done a few times for Australia before I got my start. So I know what position he's in. He knows the team, he knows the players in the team and how they play. So um, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching him uh, get his opportunity and get his hands on the ball uh, during this third game.
0: Obviously, plenty of uncertainty around, like I said at the top, you know, the venue and and what's going to be happening with, you know, the Sydney lockdowns and so on. But do you know where you'll be watching the game from?
1: Uh, More than likely at home at this point. Uh, Things continue the way they do, unfortunately. I was actually supposed to be running the blue shirt for the under-19s New South Wales team, but that seems to be in a bit of disarray at the moment as well. So hopefully they can get that game on later in the year. But, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens uh, Wednesday week.
0: Anyway, wherever it is, Origin 3 on Wednesday week will be a chance for a rare clean sweep for the Blues. Uh, Bo Scott, once again, thank you for joining us. Good luck in uh, Fish of Origin. I hope you guys get the result and uh, all the best to the Blues for Game 3 in the Origin series. Uh, Kenny, you and I will crack on with the uh, eight games from Round 16, which has uh, just recently finished. Um, some blowout scores, some very, very tight scores, some uh, some interesting games, some some of the Um, probably one of the most entertaining games of the round was not one of the the ones I was expecting, which uh, we'll get to in a little bit. But first of all, we have to start with your West Tigers. I'm sorry. A little bit of a second half fight back, but not quite enough. 38 points to 22. They went down to the Rabbitohs at an empty Leichhardt Oval, just a a little bit of a sad afternoon for a couple of reasons.
2: Yeah. So you, you, you sort of, you mentioned that there's a lot has been said about this, the quality of games across this round, which I'm sure we'll get to, but, um, in my humble opinion, this was the worst game of the round. Not because the, it, and that's not because I'm a Tigers fan and they lost. They are always going to lose to Souths, and the score, a 38 to 22 scoreline might might trick you into thinking that it might have been a close game, but it was, it was it, the game basically should not have happened. Um, no, sorry, it's as if the game um, there was it was a waste of time having that game because nothing came out of it at all. Like Souths got to 26 0 I think, at halftime, and then basically stopped. So you didn't learn anything new about like their attack or their their um, you know determination or their um, you know how ruthless they are, and the Tigers were pathetic for most of it, um, and then you know jagged a couple of tri- a couple of tries when South stopped trying, um, and it, you didn't learn like you didn't learn anything. I don't know I don't know where the Tigers are at. They looked they were so passive in defence for eighty five percent of that game. I don't. It was really bizarre stuff stuff to to watch. I think like there's got to be some sort of problem within the team. Like they don't like each other maybe, or like there was just like they had no communication similar to what we saw against the storm the week, the couple of weeks before. Um, it was just a really, really disappointing match for both teams because South South really brought nothing to it as well. As soon as they realized that they were going to win easily, they, they, they stopped trying. Mm. Um, and even when they weren't trying, they still, you know, scored like another two or three tries as well. It was a bad game battle round. You know, it was
0: bad. Yeah, I mean, the, the key part of the game was that first sort of 30 or so minutes when, um, you know, the, like you said, South was just doing pretty much whatever they wanted. They weren't even really out of second gear and the Tigers just looked stripped on both edges all the time and South were running in you know tries way too easily that they, they almost had a couple more There was a nice try saver from dane Laurie that um brought one unstuck mm. but um yeah, it could have been more than 26 nil at, at half time. and like you said the, the sting really went out of it in the second half that you know the bunnies probably eased up a, a little bit the tigers jagged a couple of tries one of them was a length of the field intercepted you know like, hard to read a, a lot into um either game from that one. I don't know. Is there much more that really needs to be said about this one? Should we just get cracking on?
2: No, move on, move on.
0: (laughs) Anyway, the earlier Sunday game, this was way more entertaining than I thought it was going to be. The Broncos, 26 points to 18 winners over the Sharks. It wasn't just you know, a close-ish game in a, a round that had some huge blowouts. The um, the Broncos played a lot better than they have been. The Sharks will be disappointed with how they played, but they still did some good things while they were out there. But the way the match seesawed back and forth, it was try for try. Neither side led by more than six points until the Broncos um, got those two tries in the, the final quarter of the match and there was um there's some really exciting passages of play there's some great tries scored there was some argy-bargy some tempers flaring um, a lot of passion and emotion on display i, I thought this was a grand entertainment
2: yeah I'm, I'm with you in a in a round of blowout scores this was like a, a, a beacon of light um you know it was because it was it was close and it wasn't close because one both teams were playing poorly or one team was just terrible it was close because both teams are playing like high-paced, up-tempo, positive football, um, and it was just—it was so much fun to watch. Like a real, a real one for the neutrals, I think. And also, I think everybody's sort of stopped death riding the Broncos. Like they had their dud year, and and I don't think anybody wants wants to see them continually like suffer. So this was a good one, I think, for the neutrals. Um, to so get behind the Broncos and sort of see them get going. It was really good to see just uh, like smiles on their on the team's faces. We've said before, they they look like, you know, when when things get down for them, they really like to sort of like linger and and you know, pile on the misery. Um, but it was the complete opposite. They were, you know, it's not like they were on top for the whole game. They they definitely faced adversity. There was some controversial, like you said, controversial calls, um, you know, desperate defense, bomb tries, yeah, bit of argy bargy, tempest flaring and all that sort of stuff. It was it was wonderful to watch. I really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, a few key moments from this match. One of them um, you touched on there, that the, the emotion of the celebration at the end. Payne Haas coming from a million miles away to bat that final kick dead. The, the Sharks, I mean, even if they'd scored, I don't think they had enough time to to steal the the eight points they needed to, to change the result. But Payne Haas coming and batting that kick dead to actually seal the result. Just the emotion and celebration overflowing from, from the Broncos players at full time. One of my moments of the match, I think, was... Um, at a really key juncture, the the Sharks got into space, Sean Johnson heavily involved, got it to Jesse Ramian who's sort of in broken play, um, looking to to bounce out of a few tackles and and had the ball knocked out of his hands by Tyson Gamble, who I think we've seen in his career to date is very much a, a fiery customer and loves trying to get under the skin of opposition players. Now that if you're a Sharks fan watching this, you just you just want to punch Tyson Gamble in the face watching this. But <laughs> as a neutral, it was just I don't know, you kind of like that um niggly you know getting under opposition skin and and jesse raymond you could tell he wanted to just you know cock the arm and and let him have one um yeah frustrating moment for sharks fans but i guess you need a little bit of that passion and fire if you if you're brisbane
2: yeah tyson gamble a grade instigator that's what he is he's out there to cause trouble (laughs) And he he almost did it as well. I, I was surprised that um, Jesse Ramian didn't get um, put in the bin because Must like what's be the difference? What's the difference between a strike to the face like an open palm, you know, or like with a closed fist? Either way, it's it's illegal, right? Like I, mm. I I thought he was kind of lucky to to get away with it. But yeah, Tyson Campbell really, I mean, he left him no option, right? He just he, he was in his face after he just made a. Um, just basically bombed a try it was uh it was it was good fun to watch i i really enjoyed it i want to go back to the um the point you made about um when has knocked the ball dead to sort of seal the win what i really liked about that and and i thought it showed maturity in the broncos in that um they didn't they, they didn't panic in that those last final seconds as they were defending um defending against the sharks I remember who it was that was running down the field uh, a previous broncos outfit may have all like they all panicked and sort of chased after this guy and got, tried to go for ankle taps and that sort of stuff, potentially leading to a try. But they sort of were quite composed and almost just sort of knowing that there was, I think it was an eight point, an eight point lead. So this wasn't like a potentially match defining play. And they just sort of herded the player around without like, without like to contain him rather than, than striking at them. Um, and that sort of uh, forced him uh, to rush the kick and then Payne got to knock it dead. So I just thought that showed. Um, that showed growth in the Broncos. and I think it's just, it's, it's positive signs. Like, you know, it's, it's a long process and it's step-by-step, step, but I think that was a step in the right direction.
0: Well, more talking points Katoni Tony Staggs, his first game of the season, uh, a long way off with an ACL injury and then a couple of weeks added on due to a uh, suspension, but I thought he was magnificent on the, the right edge really showed some of that spark and X factor that Broncos have been lacking um, this year. Uh, Ronaldo Militalo, his uh, his coach Josh Henné spoke afterwards, he's had a, a very emotional um, couple of weeks, called into the Queensland origin squad, named to make his debut and then found out that he, he you know, wasn't in Queensland at a young enough age and ruled really ineligible, obviously shattering for for young Ronaldo, I thought he had a, a fantastic game on the flank for the Sharks, um, I know they lost but uh, I think Ronaldo was, was really impressive for them. Um, and I guess I don't want to dwell on it because we don't really like talking about referees too much on this podcast because, you know, we know they get, get a few wrong. I don't even know if this was wrong, but it was certainly strange. A, a try that um, was originally awarded to Jesse Ramey it would have been the first try of the game was pretty early on. Um, Ball ended up with Sione Katoa who juggled it and passed it clearly forward to, to Ramey and the try was awarded. Then the ended up going to the bunker who ruled that Katoa lost it and juggled it forward. Towards Ramian, um, questions being asked around you know can the bunker now rule on forward passes? I'm not sure what Graham Manzese is going to have to say about it uh, on Monday. I assume it will be addressed. Um, I'm not quite sure what the process was, but it was a bit of a head scratcher.
2: Yeah, that was a, an odd one. If I was a Sharks fan, I'd be I'd be pretty annoyed at that because like people were saying, okay, the process was wrong that the bunker shouldn't have been able to rule on it, but it was clearly forward, so it's not a try anyway. But the bunker shouldn't have been able to rule on it. So there's been a, plenty of tries this season in past seasons that have been uh, awarded off of for the forward pass and you just sort of have to cop it. And I think uh, the Sharks, yeah, i will be interesting to see what happens at the press conference um, uh, when Graham Annesley goes, goes through the weekend review. Um, but if I was the Sharks, I'd be pretty annoyed at that.
0: Yeah, I mean, like you say, it was clearly forward. In a perfect world, the touchy would have picked it up. But I think the the right decision was reached. But whether the process was right, I guess we'll wait for Graham to uh, elucidate that one. Mm. Um, anyway, moving forward into uh, Saturday football, three blowouts, all back to back. The third one was the Raiders and the Titans. Uh, Gold Coast boys came down and uh, took home a forty-four points to six win from Canberra, who. Um, Really, not just pretty much out of finals contention at this point, but serious chance of finishing bottom four. This is a team that a lot of people tipped um, to be a top four team, potentially even win the comp. I know David Middleton uh, tipped them to win the premiership um, this year. Not trying to stitch up Mido, who's a friend of the podcast, but just pointing out that uh, plenty of people were were expecting big things from Canberra this year, but it's just unraveled. And this, to me, was easily their worst night of what's been a, a pretty poor year.
2: Yeah, something's obviously gone spectacularly wrong at the Raiders. Um, I think we all just need to uh, face up to the facts that there was a period in time where they had it and that period in time would have been, say, the last three years. And now they just, they don't have it. They're never going to get it back. And I think the current team probably needs to sort of, everybody just needs to move on. And, you know, I hate to use the word rebuild, but that the team, the way they are now, they'll never get back to as good as they were you know, that near 2019, that 2019 season, I guess, is what we're all, we're all comparing them to and thinking that they're capable of, but they're not. Things have changed. Um, whether it's personnel, there's something there's, they don't seem to have cohesion across the park. And I think that's been pretty clear just with the way certain players and ex-players and, um, players, partners have come out and, you know, said things through um, social media or other sort of channels. There's just something's not right. And, um, yeah, the, the team is going to have to go through some kind of change process to to, to get back um, to, to those periods where they were quite successful, which is a real shame because we all had high expectations, as you were saying. But this would have been, I mean, this was just really disappointing. Fans walking out at halftime, that sort of stuff. It's, yeah, it's, mm. it's tough.
0: The Almost the, I mean, probably definitely the worst part was they ended up with a 13 on 12 advantage for 10 minutes and they led in three tries while they were up a man. Titans lost David Feeder to the Sinbin for his late hit on Sam Williams. I think what we've seen this year is probably the correct call to to send him for 10. But that was Canberra's time to claw their way back into the match. Instead, they let in not one, not two, but three tries at the end of the first half. That was just an absolute killer.
2: Yeah, it says a lot, right? They were down by a player, but the Titans were down by their best player, arguably their best player, easily their most influential player. So you'd think that would completely dull the Titans' attack, but it didn't. It, it only, it, like you said, they scored three tries. That's unforgivable. Um, and you can't talk about you know like bounce of the ball, dud calls, or whatever. It's that just shows lack of effort. Um, and I hate I hate to be so pointed in my um, you know in my assessment of it, but that, that's what it is. There's something's not right there, and you know players aren't playing uh, aren't playing for each other or playing for the jersey, whatever you want to say. There's just something's not right.
0: Serious questions do need to be asked. I'm not sure where they go from here, but I don't want to take the gloss away from the Titans who uh, have had a, a bit of a rough trot lately, been letting in a lot of points. So for them to only concede six points for 80 minutes after having some, uh, some pretty worrying defence of late was a significant turnaround for them. They were away from home, down in a very chilly uh, Canberra. David Fafita, like you mentioned, was uh, absolutely on fire early on, busting tackles and, and scoring tries. But um, across the board, I thought they were pretty resilient, pretty impressive.
2: Yeah, what do you reckon was going through their minds when they got to I think it was about 26-0? So they've they've had this horrible like recent history of blowing um good first halves. Do you reckon um they started to get a bit nervous or do you think that's you know that I mean it didn't seem to affect them obviously they went on piled on another 20 or so points. Um but yeah, do you think they would have had to do a lot of work to sort of get beyond that second half wobbles?
0: Yeah, I mean they obviously had that Absolutely ridiculous second half against Manly. What was that? A 48 to nil second half or mm. something? I mean, that's one out of the box. Manly have been torching a, a few teams of late, and know, Canberra's second halves have been worse than the Titans, if anything. So I don't know if it's happened enough to the Titans that it would have been in their head necessarily, although it did happen badly recently. Um, but yeah, they—I uh, don't know—they—they they certainly didn't show any uh, ill effects from or any sort of psychological dramas from having had it happen to them uh, recently.
2: Yeah, I think it was great and for for um, any Queensland team to come to Canberra on a Saturday night it was like seven degrees or something like that. I think it got down to four degrees by the end of the game and to come away with a big win is a significant achievement because, man, tough conditions to play in.
0: <laughs> yeah, massively. And I mean, they were in the top eight for a good chunk of the early season before their, uh, their recent slide. They're now, um, I mean, 11th on the live ladder, but... Um, only two points behind Cronulla, who's eighth, and and two wins behind the Dragons in seventh. So a chance of going on a bit of a run. They need to win these sort of games if they're going to be any hope of, um, you know, featuring in September. Um, anyway, move on to uh, the second game of the Super Saturday. 66 points to Neil Manley, who we just talked about, um, absolutely unstoppable. Tommy Turbo had a, a hat trick within half an hour, and Ruben Garrick and Jason Saab on the the two flanks just scoring points of fun. I think Ruben Garrick 30 point individual haul, 12 goals from 12 attempts, the equal most. Points ever in a game by a Manly player. Manly's biggest ever win, I think, in their history. Certainly, easily their biggest over the Dogs, and um, the Dogs' biggest loss in a a very long period since their early dark days in the the competition. Records falling all over the place. Um, Canterbury obviously missing uh, not only a few key players injured, but also five players due to a a COVID breach, which um, Coach Trent Barrett was very frustrated by clearly in the the post-match press conference. Just uh, absolute horror show for the Dogs, and um, a real whitewash for Manly.
2: Yeah, there's not much else you can say about this. Like you said, the, the dogs they struggle. A full strength bulldogs team still lacks experience, or still lacks, um, you know, top line and, and enough skill across the park to match it with a, a red hot team. Take away, you know, yeah, the amount of players they had out, whether it's due to injury or you know, COVID breaches. That it was, it was really, it was embarrassing, I suppose. Like a, a, a team, uh, like basically they shouldn't have been on the field, I suppose. Like it just, every time Manly got the ball that they were allowed to score, um, which is really, it was unfortunate. I think the Bulldogs fans deserve better than that. The Bulldogs players deserve better than that as well. But I mean, there's not much they could do. They were just so Manly had so much time to do whatever they wanted mm. that every they, So that's, they got to do whatever they wanted. Like, you know, chips over the top on the third tackle, early kicks, whatever, all resulting in miraculous tries. It was, um, it was tough to watch. And, you know, you know, a, a guy like Trent Barrett, um, is he still a rookie coach? Probably not, but he's he's pretty young in the game and you just don't want him to just get completely burnt out by having to deal with uh, results like this. But, you know, he took on the job, I suppose. But it was it was tough to watch. It was, yeah, it was bad.
0: Yeah, one of the things Trent said in the, the presser was some of these, these kids that he did debut, like in a perfect world, even if the dogs were struggling, bringing in one of them to debut when most of the rest of the full-strength team is there and they're a chance of winning the game, like that's a nice thing. You know, to do to hand a kid his debut jersey, but to debut, what was it three or four of them all at the same time in a really understrength team against a red hot team, and have them their first grade debut be a sixty six point loss like that's not good mm. for anyone.
2: Yeah, exactly. It doesn't, um, it doesn't achieve anything. Like, there's, you know, so when you when like losing is fine. You have, you can't, you you have to lose sometimes, but it's all about what you can take from it. And I don't know what they could take from that other than, you know that that was horrible and we had to endure it that's probably all, all all there is
0: anyway um moving on did i skip past the knights and cowboys did i go straight into raiders and titans yeah I did. Let's talk about Knights and Cowboys. 38 points <laughs> in the middle, the third game of Super Saturday, just messing up your uh, chronological timeline. Um, but yeah, Knights, no, uh, great performance by them, not so good from Cowboys. Uh, Caitlin Ponga back from injury made a, a huge difference in Knights. I don't. I think that's I mean, It's definitely the first game they've played with Ponga, Pierce, Clifford and Braley together, but I don't think they had any games at the start of the year with what would have been their first choice spine available then either because um, Pierce and Ponga and, and Blake Green all delayed and then Blake Green retired. So they've, they've not had any game this year with their best spine on the field until now, and um, they look pretty good for it.
2: Yeah, I thought so. It was great to see Ponga and Pierce on the field at the same time because um, I can't remember the last time we have actually seen just those two together on the field. It's been a while. Um, and, yeah, they looked, they looked happy. They were playing up-tempo, positive sort of stuff. Um, I know the Cowboys, they... I, they've been coached from afar since, cause I know Peyton's had, yeah. um, he's, he's in isolation. I don't know if that's had, would have had a huge effect on the team. I, I wouldn't have thought so, um, but I did not expect them to come up with, like to, to not be able to score any points. I, th- I would have thought that's, um, that's, that's pretty disappointing stuff, but um, yeah, Newcastle, I mean, they needed to kick their season into year at some point, didn't they? They've been sort of knocking around the bottom of the eight, the top of the, the top of the bottom eight, um, and I guess we've all been waiting for something to happen and um, hopefully this this win kicks it off for them.
0: What about the Cowboys? I don't want to dwell on it, but um, they've had some... You know, they obviously got touched up at, at uh, Manly not too long ago. They had a pretty good run before that, but uh, really sort of slipped into a, a hole now. They actually clawed their way back into the uh, the top eight. They've now slipped back down to 10th and need a pretty serious uh, turnaround if they uh, want to get back into that final zone.
2: Well, I think that the, the Cowboys... Everyone's forgetting that the, no one expected the Cowboys to be any good this year. Uh, they were supposed. I think most of the, most people had tipped them for bottom four, and they've done surprisingly well considering they were terrible at the, at the start. And then they've strung a stack of wins together. So um, I think people's expectations of them have changed. But they're still they're still the team that everyone has at the beginning this the beginning of the season was saying is going through a rebuild. They've got a brand new coach. they are you know churning over some of those um those veterans that veterans that they've had so. Um, I think they're still outperforming uh, uh, what everybody was expecting of them. So it's not, I mean, it's not a total loss for them.
0: Moving on to uh, Friday footy, which uh, the other game of the round, the Panthers and the Eels, uh, 13 points to 12. Penrith finished up winning this. Plenty of talking points. Um, Poor old Mitch Moses, who we touched on at the start of the show. uh, I won't feel too sorry for him because he's just been named to make his origin debut, but he did have the chance to kick a very tough penalty after the final siren to steal a win uh, faded it just to the left. Those are the big moments you really want to nail. Uh, I think like Bo Scott said, not just as an origin playmaker, but as the, you know, the halfback for a top four team. It's, um, you know, would have been heartbreaking for uh, for Mitch to to lose that one and, and lose a chance to upset a, you know, a, a red hot side in, in Penrith, who did pretty well themselves considering Cleary was missing. Luai was injured during the game. Dylan Edwards was also out missing a couple of other outside backs to uh, to go with it.
2: Yeah, I thought this – so this was a game where, you know, the, the, the genuine credentials of the Panthers would be really tested because they're missing their star halfback. Um, and really, other, other than that, the couple you just mentioned, they've got a full-strength squad. So this is sort of like, okay, are they an actual, you know, champion team or are they a pretty good team with like a champion halfback? And I, I don't know. I'm not really convinced – that they passed the test at levels. they won the game but it was really close and I just would have thought that um regardless of, of the outs of Cleary that the Panthers should have been more dominant for longer periods of this game I thought Parramatta did extremely well
0: mm-hmm. Um and you know
2: could have won the, could have won the game at the end if it weren't for a um, a wayward penalty goal I just I don't really know as, if I was a Panthers fan I don't really know how I would feel about this win like yeah celebrate the win that's great but what did it show? I think it showed that the Panthers might uh, really, really struggle if they have lost Nathan Cleary for what? What's the diagnosis? Six to eight weeks, I think. Yeah. Um, they, yeah so at this least period month, for them but... is going to be really, really uh, crucial. In yeah. So how they how they fare for the rest of this period, I think it's just going to be interesting to watch. I suppose.
0: I mean, th- probably the first half of this game was more interesting for me because Panthers made a, a heap of errors. I think they had five or six handling errors in the first 20 or so minutes, which is very unpenriff-like. Um, and the Eels just weren't able to capitalise. They finally got a, a try through through Mike you know, some quick hands out on that left edge, but they probably should have scored more tries. They were chance of going to the sheds at 4-0 ahead. And then um, Brent Naden latches onto a Clint Gutherson pass and, and runs almost down the other end. And they crossed a couple of plays later and, and went to the shed 6-4 ahead. And that would probably end up being... You know the key part of the game. The eels were just absolutely attacking the Penrith line for the better part of half an hour. Only came away with four points, and Penrith got dominated for most of that first half, and yet still took a, a two-point lead into uh, into half time.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think perhaps the um the stakes of this game were affected by the lack of crowds. I would have thought that mm. um had there because that that's that was the type of game like those periods of play. You're right, where there was just relentless attack and and you know met. Matched with um, really tough defense. Those are the times when the crowds get really into it. It would have been a sold out um, Pendra Stadium and it would have felt um, uh, it probably would have had the atmosphere that it deserved. So perhaps just by um, there being nobody there, um, this game has passed me by somewhat because the way you describe it sounds like it was actually really, really interesting. <laughs>
0: I saw people saying it was one of the games of the year afterwards and I I was in another Mm -hmm. uh, group chat with some friends with people who were saying it was an absolute bludger of a game. I don't think Mm. I agree with either of those takes. I think it was quite a good game that probably was made to feel better by how many playouts we've had. Recently, I think it was an above-average game, but um, certainly wasn't a stinker. And I, I wouldn't say it was in the top two or three games of the year either by any stretch. But um, yeah, just to your point earlier about you know whether Panthers have a lot of good players or if they're just a really good team around a couple of champion halves, I, I do want to give credit to James Fisher-Harris. I don't think there's any way that Penrith win this game without um, Fisher-Harris on the field. He was, I thought, easily their best player in those two games they lost when they were uh, missing a bunch of players been one of their best players consistently all year, along with Isaiah Yo, who I thought was magnificent um, once again, and, and probably have to give credit to Brian Toto out on the wing that, you know, the rep players really standing up to mm.
2: them. Yeah, I agree. I'm a big Brian Toto fan, and we all saw the, the footage of him uh, dancing with his headphones yeah. on uh, in the, in, um, in, at warm up. So a bit more of that, good stuff.
0: Oh, I love him. He's got to be one of the most likable players in the NRL. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't understand anyone not liking uh, Brian to. Um Anyway, that's enough of that one. The earlier Friday game, the Warriors and the Dragons. Um, 19 points to 18. The Dragons came away with the win. They... Um, Obviously, uh, we're enjoying their beers on the bus uh, back home because those beers apparently uh, have continued uh, a little bit later than they should have. Uh, Dragons now a chance of missing a few players for the coming weeks, which is a real shame because it puts a um, a pall over what was otherwise a really good comeback win, although um, I don't know how much credit to give to the, uh, the Dragons and how much to give to the Warriors who bottled this one as much as I've seen any team capitulate in any game this year, I think.
2: Yeah, I don't. know. I think you're being quite generous to the dragons because I don't think I've seen a game. I can't remember a game where the the team that won did 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 not deserve to win as much as the dragons. Did. <laughs> they shouldn't have been. They should not have been anywhere near the lead in this game because I they were they were. Terrible. I thought they were just for majority of this game. They were a very, very bad. They were playing yeah. very, very bad football. Yeah. How they managed to get away with a win—it's—it's it's unbelievable. Only, only the Warriors could provide a game. Maybe the Tigers as well. But there's, that's, you know, ahead for so long by, uh, you know, it looks like they were ahead by one point for most of the game. They were ahead by whoever it was, fourteen points or something, and then. Um, just to come crashing down right at the end. That's just agonizing stuff. But, you know, that's that, that's why we follow the game, I suppose. A lot of people will put it all down to the uh, the Chad Townsend uh, nine-point attempt for, at a field goal to give the team a nine-point lead. Because that, I mean, whether that was the that itself that in isolation sort of swung momentum around but that's sort of the point in time where things started getting a little bit weird Mm. whether that's the the sole you know the sole thing to blame um i don't think so but it was definitely an odd choice
0: I mean, it seems – I think Nathan Brown basically said as much on uh, on the Sunday footy show today, but that Chad thought that the uh, – for whatever reason, he thought the Dragons had kicked their previous goal and it was only a six-point margin rather than an eight-point margin, and uh, he was going to put it up beyond a converted try. I mean, in hindsight, the Dragons missed their next two conversions, so if you actually got the field goal, they um, – they wouldn't have had to go to golden point and they would have won. He would have been a, a genius. But um, yeah, that, that missed field goal, it did give the Dragons a, a seven tackle set. They went down the other end. I think that was the Jack Bird, grubber ahead for himself try that got them mm. with, within four and then obviously cred the overlap and scored pretty much right on the, the full-time siren to um, get it to evens and the missed conversion, sending it to golden point. Poor Corey Norman had a very, very off night with the boot, missing um, missing four goals, missed a, a field goal before finally getting, I guess, the one that Keanu
2: it is such a Corey Norman thing to have a, te- a terrible game. He was he was bad defensively. He was bad. He was missing crucial conversions left, right, and center. Towards the end, I think he was so panicked from all his misses. He was they were setting up for a field goal, and then he'd sort of chicken out at the last second and and, and offload it. And then you know to get the to to pull the clutch play clutch play to pull the the winning field goal at golden point and then have all the terrible stuff he's done for the whole game sort of suddenly go away and, and get the glory of, um, of that win was a very cool, corey Norman thing to do. So well done to him and well done to the Dragons. But man, they did not deserve that win.
0: I feel for Warriors fans. I mean, they the, the team, they lost Tohu Harris about 20 minutes in. I think they lost a lot of their direction when he went off. I don't know if a lot of people sort of quite give him the credit he deserves for how much work he does for that team. And, and also not just the the runs and tackles that he does, but the direction he sort of provides them through the middle. Um, chance that he's uh, hurt his shoulder as well as the uh, the head knock and might miss some games, which would be a huge blow for them. Sounds like Chad Townsend himself battled through a, a pretty nasty shoulder injury for almost the entire game. We saw him clutching it at the start. Sounds like he's going to miss some time out with a, um, some kind of AC joint sprain or, or similar and possibly um, Elias Catoa with a, an ankle injury as well. So a costly loss. Loss for the uh, the Warriors, but um, yeah, a game that should not have got away from them, regardless of the injuries. Um, anyway, back to the first game of the round, the Roosters and the Storm, forty six points to nil. I don't think. Well, most of us probably tipped the Storm to win this one. I don't think any of us saw forty six nil coming. Um, Rooster's actually really, really strong the first sort of ten or fifteen minutes, whatever it was, and then the storm with a, a real sort of I don't want to say miracle try, but a real, I guess, eyes up play from Cameron Munster to, to a very fast Josh Adokar to to steal the first try completely against the the run of play after the Rooster's early dominance. And it was pretty much one way traffic from that point on.
2: Yeah, that so that that um Adokar try, was that a kick on the zero tackle? From
0: the twenty restart, yeah.
2: Yeah, like, so I think that just maybe, like, really confused the Roosters and, because and, w- when you go to play the Storm, you sort of, okay, I know, or I'm, I'm in for here, I'm in for like a tough grind, like, full of, you know, percentage plays and and, and systems and all that sort of stuff, and I think uh, a kick on the zero tackle for a runaway, a runaway Josh Adekar try probably just, I know, confused them, um, and they didn't know what they were in for, and I mean, the storm; they just got on this massive momentum um, swing and did not stop. It was, it was pretty surprising. I don't really know um, what what to make of the Roosters. Like, do you just think this is a, a one off sort of bump in the road, or does it signal some some underlying issues in the squad?
0: I mean, we know that about their injury toll. We've had, you know, was it Brett Morris, Boyd Cordner, Jake Friend, or forced into retirement, along with Luke Keary and Lindsay Collins being ruled out for the year. It's five absolutely massive names. Um, their roster but you would still think that the players they've got there some of them very experienced and and champion players would would keep this game closer than 46 points to nil it was just yeah i don't know they're just powerless to to stop the momentum once it started
2: yeah it was i mean it's it became like i hate to say it because it's been said so much throughout this this round but like it it became like a training run for the storm like they were just sort of, sort of mucking around and doing as they please, which is something that you would expect if you saw that, you know, the storm against uh, the Bulldogs, the Tigers, um, you know, one of those lower ranked teams, you wouldn't be too surprised. But to do it against the Roosters, I think, is quite quite worrying um, because, uh, you know, the Roosters are a a top, arguably should be a top four, definitely top eight, top six of the top eight. Um, And to, you know, just be manhandled like that. Um, by another team is, is, is quite worrying so um, I, don't really know. I don't really know what to make of it.
0: Yeah, I am a little bit concerned for for poor Sam Walker who has to be one of the, the bravest 19-year-olds I've, I've ever seen just getting absolutely rattled um, week after week that I thought the Roosters probably had a case with that, Um, you know, the late tackle from Christian Welch. You know, I really like Christian Welch. I don't think he's a grubby player, but he, you know, there was an accidental, so they head clash involved and Roosters obviously blew up. They didn't like that one at all. And then um, Walker got rattled even worse later on by Justin Ollum in a completely legitimate clean shot. Mm. But, um, yeah, the, the kid, he's copying some punishment at the moment.
2: The worst part is with that, when when, when <laughs> Sam Walker absorbs those big hits, 'Cause there's no crowds, you can really, really hear it. <laughs> and man, it just watching his little frame just, you know, limbs flailing about as he gets gets pummeled. It's it's um yeah, it must it must really hurt to take such a walloping. But like you said, good on him. He cops him and then he, he jumps straight back up.
0: Anyway, credits the Storm. No uh, Ryan Pappenhausen for most of this year. No Harry Grant for a, a lot of it, including this game. Nelson Asifat Sol- Asifa solomona missing from this one as well. The Bromwich brothers only just back from their respective injuries. Um, you know Nico Hines doing great things at, at fullback. You know they've had some, you know, plenty of outs themselves, but um, ha- have handled it just better than anyone else. And I'm not sure there's anyone, even Penrith, that can stop them where they're going at the moment. No,
2: Storm are just
0: going to keep on storming and you know
2: do their storm thing. That's what they do.
0: Our thanks once again to Bo Scott for joining us. Kenny, thank you for your time. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on the Sunday session. We'll be back this time next week.